Tyler Smith. And I'm Alexandria Hadara. Welcome to Global Takes, America's number one podcast discussing global issues from the Black perspective. It's time for our voices to be at the forefront of foreign politics and innovation. This is Global Takes. I'm a guest host for Black Professionals and International Affairs Global Take Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Santa Traorit, entrepreneur and social impact strategist. She enjoys using data and the tools of economic analysis to tell compelling stories that lead to improved outcomes for the historically marginalized and disenfranchised. Previously, she was a senior research assistant at the Federal Reserve Board International Finance Division and worked for nearly a decade supporting and cultivating entrepreneurs across the world while based in South Africa and New York City. As CEO and co-founder of the Sadie Collective, a global nonprofit organization named for America's first Black economist, she is redefining economics and what it means to be an economist by building the pipeline and pathway for Black women's careers in economics and related fields. Her work has been featured in Fortune Magazine, Bloomberg, Forbes, and several other global news outlets and think tanks across the nation. Santa's career started at Harvard University, where she was granted two bachelors in political science and economics. A proud New Yorker, her journey there was made possible by the local Black community in the city, ranging from the local Alpha Kappa Alpha chapter to the National Black MBA Association and to the local Malian immigrant community. So I'll start you off with our first question. So as co-founder and the current CEO of the Sadie Collective, how do you believe guiding more Black women into economics and economic-related fields will shape future economic evaluations of countries in Africa? First, Faye, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to see you since our last conference in 2021. And I'm really happy to be here and I appreciate everything that the Black Professionals and International Affairs Network is doing. I am a huge fan of some of your board members from Sandile Hilitslayo to Dr. Jean Tungara, who was formerly at Howard University and we overlapped and I enjoyed working closely with her around getting more students access to study abroad at Howard. So for my work at the Sadie Collective, we are very much interested in what you described, redefining economics and also what it looks like to be an economist. And our objectives at the Sadie Collective are to improve economic research and also improve the economic outcomes for Black women wherever they are in the world. So currently we are very much based in the United States with an international reach. And in being based in the United States, what we have observed is that 0.4% of Black women are graduating with a PhD in economics. So what that means is that approximately four Black women graduate with a PhD in economics on an annual basis. That degree is a prerequisite for many different types of careers, from working at the US Census Bureau to working at pretty much any research institution. And so this means that Black women are not in those spaces. And there is a need to ensure that we are creating good policy by creating more Black women economists 
And basically lessening the group thing that is currently happening and means that our policy isn't as great as it could be. And so the Sadie Collective is very much concerned with increasing diversity of thought in how we analyze and understand the economy. And currently, what we also understand is that even globally, the representation of women in research is around 33%. And so the question of getting to parity means being very intentional about the inclusion of Black women. And so when it comes to the question of economic evaluations in countries across Africa, we need to make sure that Black women are having a seat at the table in shaping how their economy trajectories are going and someone who people should look into is Dr. Elizabeth Asiedu, who has created the Association for the Advancement of African Women Economists, of which we are really excited to have on our advisory council at the Sadie Collective because our work in basically centering this idea of Black Women Best, which was coined by the chief economist at the Department of Labor and also the first Black woman economist in that role, Janelle Jones is really interested in that international lens. And so we want to see better economic evaluations of countries in Africa. We want to see better outcomes and livelihoods for African women, as well as Black women in the United States and wherever we are found in the world. And the space of economic research is one of the ways that that shift can happen. Thank you for sharing that, Fonta. I couldn't agree more. You know that uh, that those stats you shared about only four Black women getting a PhD every year are always shocking to hear. And it's great that you're partnering with these really strong organizations to um, board members to really push forward the number of Black women entering the field and affecting the space, and therefore the evaluations of African countries. Um, so another question I have for you is what is, the, is one of the biggest problems you believe having more black women in economics and related fields can help address, um, particularly as we seek to emerge from this global pandemic? Yeah, so with the pandemic, what's important to highlight here is that whatever problems we had prior to the pandemic has only become more exasperated post. And the only anomaly that I can think of is less travel, meaning better outcomes for the environment. Now, when it comes to the problems that Black women are having in economics and related fields, that includes the issues of racism and just not being able to thrive in the space as much as they could if we did have that diversity that existed within the profession. Um, and when it comes to the bigger like global problems that Black women could be addressing that have been aggravated because of the pandemic, I think earning potential is a huge opportunity as well as at large, moving us closer to gender parity. So when I say earning potential, what I'm reflecting on is the fact that the underrepresentation of Black women in the economics profession means that there's a world of job opportunities in finance, in economics, and public policy think tanks and so forth that is not open to this group. And at the Sadie Collective, the way we're addressing this is through 
having a range of programming that is available to Black women so that they are able to see and imagine the possibilities for their career moving forward. We have the Sadie Summit that's coming up in April 2022, our first summit that is focused on exposure on economic research opportunities in the financial sector. So economists are hired there from your JP Morgans to Goldman Sachs and so forth. And in that pipeline, there is an underrepresentation. And these are jobs that only require a bachelor's degree in economics. So that 1%, less than 1% number that I shared prior is also because of the pipeline of who is getting a bachelor's degree in economics. So this program that we have is about broadening that number. So in the US, we're looking at approximately 600 young Black women getting a bachelor's degree in economics, which is insane. It's a very low number compared to 50,000 young white men who are getting that same degree. And we need to get that to at least 7.8%, so parity with the population. So one of those big global problems is earning potential and the Sadie Collective addresses that through increasing future work opportunities for Black women. And another global problem is gender parity. And I don't see us getting there without having that diversity of economic researchers. Um, an example of the type of research that Black women do when they are in the economic space is Aisha Youssef, who's at George Mason University. And she is pursuing her PhD in economics there. I'm really excited to have her presenting her research in less than two weeks on female genital mutilation. And she did really interesting work that looks at the relationship between ethnic identity and the prevalence of female genital mutilation. And these are the kind of questions that Black women economists are looking at. They're looking at questions that center the woman's lived experience and having research that looks at these types of questions moves us closer to implementing solutions that improve outcomes for women. And so achieving gender parity on a global scale means including Black women to answer these kinds of questions and to ask them. They're not being asked when we're not in the room. And so I'm looking forward to seeing the research that's going to be presented during this event. And then also during our upcoming conference, which takes place every February during Black History Month and includes a variety of economic thinkers who just so happen to be Black women. It's amazing to hear all the ways the Sadie Collective is working to really impact this space. Like, love to hear the work some of your members are doing. Aisha Youssef sounds great that she's still diving into these problems that, you know, traditionally aren't really analyzed um, by economists because of that lack of diversity, because of the lack of female representation. So, um, I appreciate the Sadie Collective moving to increase that 600 um, Black women with bachelor's in economics number to that 7% um, rate that we're aiming, that you guys are aiming for. Um, another question I have is, as an, an economist, Fanta, could you share some of what you have been hearing regarding the state of African, Africa's economy, particularly in Mali? the country which your family hails from, and South Africa, a country where your career has taken you to. Thank you for this question. So 
I'll focus on Molly. And as I've shared before, when it comes to the pandemic, whatever wasn't working well is only further exasperated as a problem. And so Mali is a country right now that is struggling on several fronts. So we're looking at the global pandemic impacting tourism, of which was already extremely low because of the instability in the country. And that instability is reflected in the fact that the coup had a coup recently. So there is no government structure right now. Um, and because of that, that means that there's definitely less people traveling there. And some research from Leo Holtz at the Brookings Institution highlights that as a consequence of the pandemic across several African countries, we're seeing less testing and treatment of diseases like HIV and AIDS, like TB, like malaria, which is as a result of more resources being put towards COVID. Additionally, there is an increase in debt borrowing because of the pandemic and the lack of travel and tourism continues to be a strain on many economies. And overall, I think that problems present a unique opportunity for really reimagining the possibilities and centering the human experience for how we think about solutions. And I would love to see a shift towards centering the needs of young people and also just having a radical reimagination of how we can emerge from this moment so that everyone has a better access to opportunity. So for instance, in Mali, there is a lot of, a lot of a reliance on commodities and there is room for that industry to be further developed where it's not just extraction that's taking place, but that there is a development of that industry of like creating and selling what is created there. And that means job opportunities and jobs are definitely in lack in Mali where you have 300,000 youth constantly being introduced to the job market and who do not have opportunities to meet them there in terms of what they could be doing to, to contribute. The informal sector is huge and moving towards some formalizing of that for those youth and creating job opportunities for those youth is something that I think about a lot as someone who does research on the future of work and that currently manifests through the work that I'm doing at the Sadie Collective, but also previously in my work in South Africa of working closely with young entrepreneurs and helping them to create job opportunities through the entrepreneurial ventures that they would create, which was incredibly inspiring given that these youth were between 15 and 22 years old and starting organizations, starting entities and enterprises. And it's really amazing to see how some of their companies continue to persist. And overall, the vision for the program is that if you can get a young person in leadership, they will have no problem hiring other young people because there isn't this concern of hierarchy and age and that sort of thing, which often tends to be, you know, this idea of like hire those who have more experience or hiring your friends 
And in the context of Molly, for instance, your friends, if you're hiring them, are going to be older. Um, and so I'm really excited about those conversations that are happening about the future of work and would love to see more centering of the human capital that is abundant in Africa and, um, and, and really allowing those young people to have more agency through having more work opportunities for them. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like the development opportunities are huge, especially for the young people there in Mali. And it's great to see, again, how the Sadie Collective is working to, you know, increase the conversations happening there on the ways that young people can be developed and prepared for the economy. Um, and given your experience in and with African countries, how do you believe that these economies should be evaluated um, regarding the level of development, current economic health, and overall economic prospects? So in other words, have economists been evaluating the right thing? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And some organizations that I love to look to around evaluation of the economy include Groundwork Collaborative. There's also the Economic Policy Institute, as well as the Urban Institute, who are all very much interested in this question of how do we evaluate the economy better? So I definitely recommend that listeners go and check out those think tanks. When we're looking at African countries and the way that they are assessed, I see opportunities for not relying just on GDP, which all of these different organizations highlight as being critical and to pivot more broadly to looking at evaluating human capital potential. And in that, that means what are the opportunities that exist for youth? I think this is an important in indicator for us all to be grappling with because youth are the future. And if their future isn't promising, if what opportunities are available to them aren't promising, if the way their human capital is being developed isn't being done so in a way that really allows them to be contributing fully to society, then that is a red flag for us all to be paying attention to, given that Africa does have the most booming population in the world, um, with having a high growth, growth rate of, of that on an annual basis. And so I think that is one of the key aspects that we need to be paying attention to. Second would be the level of decolonization that's happening within the country, because there continues to be a reliance on European economies who have been quite intertwined with this region of the world. And finally, economic diversification and really tapping into those resources that exist. Like in Mali, for instance, agriculture has a lot of potential there. And it's not uncommon that you'll walk past the mango stand, which a woman um, has cultivated through farming and so forth and having that mango stand standing next to another one and these mangoes will eventually expire and never reach the international market and you it, it's also not uncommon that 
mangoes are being exported from South Africa or other nations to its neighboring countries. And so overall, I see a lot of need for developing that infrastructure and these three ways of focus, focusing on the future of work for youth, focusing on the level of decolonization and lack of dependence on European nations, as well as economic diversification, could be the pathway forward for improving outcomes for African countries. Yeah, these are really great recommendations. I do hear a lot um, with non-European, non-Western countries that uh, removing away from relying on GDP-based evaluations is the core to really seeing where they're at economically. And again, as a focus on young people and developing them, a lot of these um, developing nations do have that substantial population where you see Europe is more losing out on the youth population and birth rates are declining. The opposite is true elsewhere. So again, that's something to hone in on um, as more Black women and more economists seek to properly evaluate these countries. Um, Santa, what are your thoughts on, you kind of touched on this a bit, uh, the history and after effects of colonization and how it may be impacting the current health of African country economies? Yeah, so I shared with you that I'm currently in Abidjan and Ivory Coast. And so this is something that is top of mind as I am navigating. And what is something that really stands out to me is just like the reality of how reserves are allocated at this time between Francophone countries and France. And so recently there have been conversations about France withdrawing its presence from the governing bodies for the Central Bank of West African States. And in those conversations, they have been acknowledging the fact that the CIFA zone in West Africa, so there are a few monetary unions throughout uh, the continent and the West African Monetary Union includes Benin, Burkina Faso, Ivory Coast, Guinea-Bissau, Mali, Niger, Senegal, and Togo. And that union has 50% of its reserves in France. And so there is a clear linkage between the central banks and how their money is allocated and with their former colonial body. And so I'm really glad to see that these conversations are happening. And from what I last understand of this conversation is that the Central Bank of West African States has made some progress on it to the extent that France is going to basically move those reserves out and that these countries are going to have more independence over the way their money is governed. Um, whereas for the Central African Economic Monetary Union, of which also includes other Francophone states like Cameroon, the Central African Republic, Chad, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, and the Republic of Congo, 
there is still room for that conversation. And so I think that is one of the key ways that we see colonization continuing to have a role in African economies. And then there's also just the reality of how the entities that exist under colonialism have evolved into companies that we see in current day. And so overall, I do believe that history plays a role in the inability for countries to surpass their status um, and that it's definitely a multifaceted problem and needs to be addressed head on in different ways from local governments within the nations where there was that former colonization to the way the World Bank and the IMF intend to operate versus how they are. And, you know, when it comes to international affairs, like that's definitely like a question of, well, what are the intentions of these entities? And maybe they actually are operating in the way that they intend, um, given the governance countries that basically um, have implemented those institutions. And so overall, yes, the after effects are very much alive and real. And there needs to be pointed conversation about what decolonization could look like. And there leaves much to be desired. Yeah, it's amazing to hear that those conversations are starting, you know, a long time coming for sure and a long way to go, as you mentioned, but, you know, there's movement there. There seems to be more of an openness to discussion compared to earlier years. And even what you last mentioned about the reevaluation of the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund's intentions versus real impact, that's, that's a huge conversation. And that's great that that's finally taking place and looking forward to seeing, you know, what the results of that are and what changes are made. Um, so Hanta, did you ever imagine that in your lifetime, you would co-found the first and only American nonprofit organization that addresses the pipeline and pathway problem for black women in economic, finance, data science, and policy across the world? That's a really kind question for you to ask. And I did not imagine that this would happen, but I'm also very not surprised. And it's always with hindsight that you're able to look back and say, I see how I got here. So a lot of black women have poured in me over the years from my mother and her sisters and really just seeing how she was able to build her own entrepreneurial journey through starting a hair salon in New York City and using that as a means to empower the woman who would work for her and encourage them to get education and take advantage of the opportunities that the US offered for them, as many of them are women who immigrated to the United States. And so witnessing that first and foremost at home and seeing the power of community growing up in a Malian household in, US, in the US, as well as the power of the many community organizations that have poured into me from the 
College Awareness Symbolizes Hope program with the National Black MBA Association to the Black Women of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated to Let's Get Ready, which is a organization that's all about helping youth to go and have access to a college education. All of those programs have definitely helped to form who I am today. And another one that I also like to name is the Public Policy and International Affairs Program of which Dr. Simone Gabolo, she's in pursuit of getting her PhD. So not a doctor yet, but can't wait for that day. Um, all of those institutions have been key in my own personal development. And I know for Anna Gifty Apoku Adjaman, my co-founder, she's also had a lot of people pour into her as well. And so the intersections of us crossing paths and realizing how racially isolating the economics profession could be became a problem that we both saw and an opportunity that we both saw to en masse be able to make a shift. And I have those programs to thank for, the framework that they provided for me and also just witnessing my mother and her and her own entrepreneurial journey. So I did not imagine it, but I'm also not surprised considering all of the many great people who have been a part of my journey. And it's really the honor and pleasure of a lifetime to be uplifting the work of Dr. Sadie Tanner, Marcel Alexander, and also helping more Black women to find that community in this space and in this profession so that their voices can be heard, can be amplified, and can become normalized in the economic space. Yes, that normalization piece is important. That that is big right there. And yes, it sounds like you had this really huge, strong legacy of Black women and, and just Black community before you, you know, pushing you ahead and getting you to where you are today. And you, you did mention the um, person for which your organization is named. So what do you think Dr. Sadie Tanner Mosel Alexander, the first Black woman to earn a PhD in economics in 1921, and the person for which the organization was named would think about the work um, that you are doing and the legacy that your work is enabling her to continue to leave behind. It is my hope that she would be proud of the work that we are doing and excited to see what we are helping to shift. And that is the reality that 100 years since she got her degree in 1921, four Black women are graduating annually with a PhD in economics. Dr. Sadie Tanner Mazel Alexander was a phenomenal woman who was concerned with seeing better outcomes for the Black community. And even though she wasn't able to practice as a PhD economist, she was very much keeping her economic thoughts alive through her speeches with the National Urban League and she is a woman who really just kept on pushing for those better outcomes. And one of the ways that that's represented is through her graduating with her PhD in economics, not being able to get a job in the field because of the racism in the profession, and then pursuing a law degree at University of Pennsylvania and being the first black woman to graduate with that law degree. So 
I am an incredible awe of her and I hope that she would be proud of us. And I have a glimpse of what, not to put words in her mouth at all. <laughs> there are so many words that I would like to share with her, but I, I do want to name that her granddaughter has come to our conference Dr. Ray Alexander Minter, who is an anthropologist and very passionate about preserving the legacy of her mother. And she acknowledges that her mother documented her experience as one where she was incredibly isolated and that she knows that if her mother had a community like this, that it wouldn't have been as hard because in 1921, she was dealing with the issues of racism, but then also the issues of sexism. And so if there are words that I could share with her, it would be, thank you for paving the way. Thank you for showing up as you did. And I hope that we are making you proud. And a slight correction, Ray Alexander Minter is her daughter, not her granddaughter. That is amazing and just a huge testament to what the Sadie Collective has done to hear from the, um, Dr. Sadie Alexander's daughter that you guys are doing amazing work. Like that, that must be so validating and just very motivating as you continue to trudge ahead in this difficult space, you know, and really affecting change for so many Black women who are here now and who are coming after you. So I would like to know as our final question, Anto, what is next for you? Yes, so what's next for me is finishing up my master's degree programs of which very much reflect what I was pursuing at Howard to some degree in terms of pursuing a dual degree in political science and economics. So finishing my master's in public policy with a concentration on international development and my master's in business administration are top of mind from Yale University. So I started my degree program last year and I've taken a year to focus solely on the Sadie Collective and I'll have to go back. And so finishing those degrees and graduating in 2024 is one of my key goals. And I am looking forward to continuing to build our programming and our services at the Sadie Collective, which includes doing exciting research that centers an intersectional lens and also an interdisciplinary approach. So we have a few clients that we started to get at the Sadie Collective who are very much interested in what our economists have to offer to the conversation of improving economic livelihoods for Black women and women of color. And so that's one of the key projects that I'm really excited about over the next few months. And I look forward to continuing to center the importance of an intersectional lens in economic research and the future of work for you through my work. Fonta Traore, thank you so much for appearing on today's episode of Global Take with Black Professionals in International Affairs. We appreciate the work that you are doing as the CEO of Sadie Collective, along with your co-founder, Anna Gifty. 
and we look forward to witnessing the positive ripple effect having more Black women in economics and related fields will have on economic evaluations of African countries.